You are listening to Fast Growth Funding, the podcast all about helping you demystify the world of AI investments. Sponsored by EAG Ventures, where entrepreneurs help entrepreneurs. This show is all about helping give as much value as possible to investors and entrepreneurs alike. So if you like what you hear, please do subscribe to the show and share this episode with your network to help us reach more people just like you. Thanks again. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Fast Growth Funding. I am joined by Neil Vos and Pete Everson. Guys, how's it going? Very well, thank you. How are you? Good to see you, Ivan. Thank you. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Yeah, always a pleasure, Neil. Always a pleasure. So this episode, we're going to dive into some jargon because the world of AI investing is full of terminologies, acronyms, all sorts of things that could probably get a new investor's head swimming. And we brought Neil you on because I've heard that you are the king of jargon and terminologies. So you're going to help us shed a light on, on some of the most common ones that a new investor or lots of VCs kind of would, would be discussing or talking about to help demystify what they are, what they mean, and how you can better understand them to make better decisions as an investor. You're right. It's, 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 a, it's a team joke. I am, I am Mr. Jargon. Oh, you <laughs> invented half of them, right? Claiming royalties on some of the conversations <laughs> that happen at VC tables. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Well, let's just let's just first start off with a very basic kind of understanding of, of venture capital. And let's talk about that through the lens of EHE Ventures and the, the fund that we're currently setting up. So Pete or Neil, either of you just jump in, just give give a very brief with like understanding of like what venture capital is in in relationship to EHE Ventures. Yeah. I mean, just, just top line, Ivan, listen, we're in the market of maximizing opportunities and, and mitigating risk. I mean, that's yeah, the core of it. That is what venture capital does. It's high risk, high reward. And, you know, some of the things which we'll talk about today and all the other episodes on this, for this podcast series talks around, you know, the particular way that EHE and its process and its people and its partners makes us a very you know, positive and pragmatic VC partners to our founders. Because perhaps we've got a slightly different optic to how we assess, in this case, AI opportunities. So at the very nub of it, that's that's my view of you know, of EHE and VC world. Pete might add to that, perhaps. No, I think you captured it well. You know, I think the the high risk, high reward is something that you know that is what VCs do. That's what they are, and that's what we are. So you quite rightly said our approach. We like to think is is different. The way in which we vet and mitigate due diligence. You know, we like to think we have our own unique way of doing that which is better of course we say that <laughs> we would yeah we've talked a lot about the kind of the mindset of someone who would be interested in in a fund like like ehe ventures and someone who's got the appetite and for a little bit of risk who enjoys the kind of excitement of investing in an ai tech company you know if, if someone looking for a very low risk investment is probably better off going investing in stocks and shares than investing in an ai startup but it's about the whole like package and experience that you get when you're part of an organization and part of this, an exciting tech startup and that's at the forefront of, of technology. That's actually a really good point, Ivan. Well, of course you're going to make a good point, but I think for us, it's kind of like the marriage between the risk appetite of a VC firm, the founder, and our investors into our fund. I think ideally there's a commonality and everybody should be on the same page in terms of you know how we look to back early stage founders with very clear, exciting visions and we're sharing that journey. There's that natural link between the objectives from the VC fund, their investors, and the founders. It's a really important point. 
Great. And obviously it's not all emotional, right? Like you know, these, these companies are highly exciting, but with the HE and you know what we're going to talk about, some of this terminology, such as due diligence is doing the homework and doing enough work to minimize that risk as well as kind of see those exciting returns as well. So yeah, so let, let, let's start with some of these. These are the ones that we've done some research on that come up quite a lot in all kinds of like venture capitalist conversations with investors. The first one we want to talk about is EIS. So who wants to Give me an, a breakdown on what this is and why this is important. Go on, Pete. I think EIS, at its very simplistic level, is the government rewards us as investors for investing in high-risk companies, i.e. startups. Why do they do that? Because they want to accelerate enterprise. So we get, as investors, you get tax benefits for investing in an EIS fund. That's it. It is a simplistic level. You know, we've got some illustrations and breakdowns on our our deck, our teaser deck, of course, but at its raw level, that's what it is. It's the government incentivizing investors to invest in startups. And is this something that you have to like petition to to get as, as part of a fund? Or does this automatically get assigned to you if you are helping sort of tech startups win investment? The companies in which the fund invests in are EIS qualified. So they have to be at a certain part of their journey, i.e. a startup, for it to be EIS qualified. So it's the companies themselves in which the fund invests in are EIS qualified. And as such, the fund is then EIS qualified. Neil, keep me honest because you are Captain Acronym. No, no, it's just, P. I'm, I'm incredibly impressed. Absolutely spot on. And I think, you know, I, I've been the... In fact, the vast majority of the companies that we see and the founder decks that we see are EIS qualified. Right, brilliant. And and just to very quickly summarize that for anyone who didn't know, for an investor, that means it's a very tax-efficient way of investing or, or, or a very tax-efficient way of, of spending money or, or making is that right. You can benefit from income tax relief and also capital gains tax relief over a certain time frame. I will, I won't go into too much detail on that. There are, there are many more professional people within EHE from a venture accounting perspective that can provide a much better explanation. Absolutely. I think we're going to actually talk to Elliot at some point about EIS and like how to actually do it and all, all that kind he's, of stuff. He's the man. I'm sure he's going to give us a, give us a breakdown. <laughs> but just finally, before we move on from EIS, is this something that most investors are expecting to see on, on a website with a fund or at, before they get involved in anything? Is this kind of like a deal breaker? Or is this very popular? Is this hard to achieve? Does she give me an understanding as to how common this is with funds? It's extremely common. I think investors would expect it. If you're an investor and you're doing direct company investments, you can benefit from that as well. Of course, and with funds, you know, if you're doing a high-risk investment in the UK, then yes, absolutely. You know, you would expect this. Have we actually said what EIS stands for in the spirit of being a jargon-busting you know, podcast? You know what we haven't. Yeah, Pete, you should finish with that. I should. This is an enterprise investment scheme, ladies and gentlemen. That's what it stands for. It's a very sexy-sounding A name. government-backed <laughs> initiative called the Enterprise Investment Scheme. There you go. Brilliant. All right. Well, there you go. So that's EIS. Uh, let's move swiftly on from that then and talk a little bit about some of the some AI terminology. Obviously, we don't want to patronize anyone by talking about what AI is because I think most people probably understand that at this stage. But just to give a bit of a, a breakdown and understanding on you know some of the AI terms used for funds who like specialize in investing in AI companies. So 
you know, let's give a bit of an understanding of what we're looking for at EHE Ventures. What, what are some of the terms that we like using and what do they mean? As you can imagine, Ivan, this is, this is probably the most common question which we get asked on, on a daily basis. And, and you know what? It, it, probably our answer to this probably also reflects some of the wider macro dynamics of AI investments in Europe and the US. Just to touch on that in terms of, you know, AI is very much an AI investment is very much back in the trend in terms of, you know, maintaining some, some decent deal flow and amounts, particularly in Europe, particularly in the UK. Now, as you know, the UK is, is probably after, after Silicon Valley, probably one of the largest, largest uh, geographies for developing AI technologies. So with that optic, what we're looking to do is find those, those next generation of AI winners that aren't necessarily pure play AI companies, but they're using the application of AI technology to disrupt a particular industry. So it could be an AI application which is looking at industries that are, you know, very data intensive. So healthcare is an obvious one, manufacturing, you know, education, retail. So we're looking for those companies that are really looking to use very smart AI tools. And I won't go into types of tools at this stage. That's for another podcast, but are looking to, to use the application integration of those new AI tools as a core part of the way they'll grow their business in the future. Right. Brilliant. Even better if it's a company which has got some sort of track record of building and having some initial traction and then is topping that up with AI integration. That's a particular sweet spot for us. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So when, you, when you guys, when you guys use the term AI first, then is that, is that what we're referring to here or is that something different? Pete, go, go for it. I think as, as Neil touched on, I think what, what we look for is companies that are leaning into AI. So, you know, it might be everything from what Neil's just, just told you, but it could be, you know, something like a, a book publishing company or it could be a, a marketing company who's saying, right, AI is coming. You know, my business is at threat from AI, but instead of, you know, battening down the hatches and trying to fight it, you know what, I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to invest in it. I'm going to use it to accelerate my process. I'm going to use it to increase the amount of business I can generate and really get ahead of it. So it might not be a company that's, you know, invented a new AI tool, right? It might not be a company who has created some new fangled large language model, for example, but it might just be a simply a company who has said, right, I'm going to accelerate my business process. I'm going to accelerate my go-to-market by using off-the-shelf AI tools, perhaps, because they're getting ahead of it. They're going to be that company that doesn't sink. They're going to be that company that benefits from this this tidal wave that that is AI. And you know, I think it's worth saying as well, you know, investing in AI applications or AI technologies at the moment is huge risk because there's that many of them. You know, we're at that phase where there's a gazillion companies out there that are on that bandwagon and trying to be that one that makes it. What we're doing is saying, that's great. You know, if we spot some of those, then fantastic. However, we want to spot the companies that are going to embrace the technology itself. They might be established. They might, you know, have a, a technology a company that is spun out of a larger company, for example, and we get behind that. So our spec, you know, we're quite broad in what we look for, but we're very focused on the, the attitude of the founders and their, their kind of their thought leadership and their, their direction they want to take their company. And that's what we focus on. 
Yeah, brilliant. And for anyone listening, we're going to hear from some of these companies in future episodes too. We're going to be speaking to Peppercorn AI about how they used AI tools to help the insurance industry. We're going to talk to a company who's using AI to help make big waves in the publishing world as well. So there's going to be some exciting conversations coming up. So if anyone's interested to find out like how this actually works based on what Pete's talking about, just tune in because we're going to be releasing episodes in, in a little bit more detail about specific companies on that topic. I, I lined that plug up beautifully. As you did, you did, you did, you set it up, you set it up. If you set up a plug, I'm going to, I'm going to take advantage of that. No, so, no, yeah. you go for it. Right. So let's move swiftly on then from AI to talk about investment stages. You know, anyone who has any knowledge of, of investing or maybe even brand new to investing needs to know about these for reasons that hopefully we will make obvious uh, in a second. So let the, the, there's three here. There's pre-seed, seed and series A. So just one of you. Just give me just a very quick, like, why is this so important to know about? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that, Ivan. First off, there are more than the, than these three. There are series B, C, D, et cetera. But I wanted to cover these off because these, these are particularly important to the thesis of our new EHE Ventures Fund. So we'll look at both pre, seed, and series A. And ideally, if there is an, if there is an ideal case, we would have a balance of companies across each of these stages for obvious risks relating to what I talked about at the beginning, maximizing opportunities and mitigating risk. So you try and spread, you spread your bets across different stages. So just very, very quickly. So pre-seed, I think as the name suggests, yeah, these, these are startups, pre-revenue, funded by the founder's own money, all their friends, girlfriends, next door neighbors. They'll have an initial idea. They'll have a deck. They'll hopefully have a prototype, but they're looking for funding really to cover, or basically to back their idea and to back their entrepreneur's vision, to maybe conduct some market research, some further product development, so maybe from just an idea into a proof of concept, maybe into a minimal viable product, but we won't go down MVP. I don't think MVP's on our jogging busting oh, for no, today. You, just, you brought another one in. I can't resist it. We'll cover those later in another episode. That's a really important part, and it's something we talk a lot about in the show too. So anyone listening to the show will know all about what an MVP is. Absolutely. So this early stage, it's all about you know giving people anywhere up to, normally at this stage, they're looking for anywhere between, could be as low as 50,000 pounds, maybe up to 250,000 pounds. So again, they can really, they, they can, they can have the appropriate amount of money in the bank, which they can deploy to pay some initial developers, build a product and maybe some initial sales and marketing support. But this says critically what we're looking for in the founders is not the fully fledged business plan, because how could they? They're pre-revenue. They're only just thinking about developing a product, which fits the vision. So we're looking for their appetite for risk. How credible is they, are they as founders? of next generation AI first companies and opportunities. So it's the character and it's the resilience of, of the founders that we particularly look for at pre-seed stage. So that's, that's pre-seed. Seed, just, just imagine a year, a year more in advance or maybe 18 months more in advance. So they've already got a product or an MVP in market. They've started potentially to gain some revenue or to, maybe they converted pilot customers. They were free and into paying customers, but they're looking for seed funding at this stage to further refine the product, build people, probably get people on board as fixed term contractors rather than more like ad hoc freelancers. And they're looking really to, you know, how can we develop more product market fit for our, for our idea and our technology? And so they're looking for anywhere up to a million pounds. And at this stage, 
you know, for us to be interested in, in, in spending and investing capital with these types of C companies, we're looking for examples of how they've met the promise of an initial business plan. You know, are they quite close to tracking and indexing on targets? How big's the potential market? You know, what feedback are they getting from their current customers? And what type of trajectory are they, are they receiving back from customers to want to spend more money with them in the near future? So, you know, it's quite different to pre-seed, a little bit more mature, but still very opportunistic in terms of wants to really drive the market uh, and drive the, drive their technology further. Series A finally is, is again, imagine another couple of years down the line. They've already had, they've already got growth. They've already got, they've already established their team. They've got paying customers. Their pipeline's looking good, but maybe they're looking for further money, you know, over a million pounds potentially to scale operations, perhaps geographically. You know, perhaps in different, in different customer segments and then maybe looking to build out the infrastructure of their company. So rather than just having like core, a core team of sales and marketing, marketing developers, maybe looking to expand, you know, their management team to include, you know, operations, supply chain, HR, that, you know, those types of very, very important supporting elements of the infrastructure of a company as it moves forward. So finally at this stage at series A, you know, we're looking actually for have they built Rather than just the founder, has the founders have surrounded themselves with people who are even better and even cleverer than they are to actually help move the business forward? And is the growth trajectory again, ideally not just on track, but actually doing better than they thought a couple of years beforehand? Does the risk element of this? sort of go down as we pro- progress through this. So pre-seed is probably the most risky, then seed and then series A is probably where it's a bit more proven and a less risky investment. Is that right? That's exactly the case, Ivan, and, wh- and why I mentioned the fact that, you know, ideally we have a balance of these within our portfolio. Okay, and that was my next question then about this, just to follow up on this. The companies that EHE Ventures do have in their portfolio are made up of all of different parts of this this process, this investment stages. Yes, yeah, definitely. You know, we 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 have a a risk portfolio, if you like. So, you know, on, on the one end of the spectrum, we've got the startup factory, which actually builds, you know, pre-seed tech products. For example, you know, it does a, a sweat equity model. It helps that company go from pre-seed into the seed stage. Then, our fund can get involved as well at, that, at both of those points, so we can fund that build. We can also then fund that seed stage, and then we can deploy our growing team of experts to help them with all the things that Neil just pointed out, you know, to make sure that they've got a good foundation to scale, help them with their business plans, their marketing plans, their go-to-market strategies, you know, all those things that Neil just said. So we can put a, a big arm around them from the very early stages all the way through to, you know, Series A and beyond. Nice. Great to know. Yeah, fantastic, guys. Okay, so moving on from investment stages, another one that pops up a lot is this concept of due diligence, which seems to be super important, you know, from the conversations that we've had. It might not be the most sexy part of this whole process, but it certainly is important. We need to rename it something more sexy, I think. The word due diligence <laughs> just makes everyone turn off. But I think right. it's, yeah, yeah. Right. Maybe it needs a, it needs a rebrand. It needs it a does. bit of a rebrand. Let's, let's it does. Say, all right. 
to avoid confusing people even further, let's keep it with due diligence and let's just go into just a very briefly. So what, what is this? Why is this so important? What is the kind of the, the basic components of this? Well, the very basic level, Ivan, we, we just want to get under the bonnets of the business, the people behind the business and why it should be them to bring this new idea to market on its most base level. And to, and to actually just pick up on a word which Pete just used a moment ago in terms of putting our arms around people. Okay. That's actually very relevant when it comes to the, the due diligence process. I often find that this can frustrate and even infuriate founders because they have to go through the sausage machine potentially of speaking to loads of angel investors, VCs, private equity firms, et cetera. And, you know, I've, I, I feel for them. We've all been there, done that. We've all, we've all worn their hats in terms of having to go around with, with our pitch deck looking for money. But it's the way in which people deport themselves or founders deport themselves during this process that can actually come a long way for the likes of, you know, me and Pete and, the, and our extended team to be really excited about working with these people moving forward. We, we, we don't want to start a conversation with somebody and get very excited about understanding their technology or their market opportunity. And then perhaps in a follow up meeting, find out there's a bit, there's maybe there's an operational challenge, which have been, haven't been mentioned at the very beginning. We just want people who are really honest with us, very transparent, are equally as excited as to work with us than we are to work with them. And it's that team mentality which we're looking for at the very beginning of a DD process. Yeah, absolutely right. I think as well, I mean, think what the DD process does. You know, we're not looking for reasons not to invest. You know, I think a lot of investors think that, you know, you're just looking for you know, holes in my business and you're going to criticize it and think well, that's not the case. You know, I think we look for it. If we, if we bought into the founders themselves, we bought into the idea, we understand the market, then, you know, we're enthused at that point. We go through the due diligence process and we spot, we find the areas that, you know what, we can help you there. You know, this could be better. You know, we look at your business forecast. We don't think it's, you know, bullish enough. We can, we can help. And we'll inject people into this process to help them and get them to that process where they're, you know, investment ready and ready for growth. Good VCs do that. You know, I think it's a, a misconception that these VCs come in there and suck companies dry. You know, there's some VCs that do do that, but there are many that don't. You know, we're very much on the side of the entrepreneur. You know, we want to, we want to share in their success. We want to help them. We enjoy helping them. You know, that's the best part of our jobs is you know, getting our hands dirty, rolling our sleeves up and, and helping them. Mm. That's a cool, I mean, Ivan, sorry, that's a cool thing, Ivan, you know, it's, we don't, I don't want to overly, we're not, I don't want to overly sell or market ourselves here, but there's a reason why we call the HE. We're operators, we're entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs and we want to be constructive. We actually want to work, work in their business with them side by side. And so we're not, we're looking for constructive reasons to do that. And you know, rather than as Pete alluded to, we don't want to point out weaknesses because no company, particularly a pre-seed and seed stage, is perfect by any means. Brilliant. What one quick question I did have before we move on from the due diligence is how how is this shown to an investor? So when an investor goes in to look for uh, an organization to invest in, they're obviously going to want to know how the due diligence is done. In what format are they looking at this? Are they analyzing this? Is this in a document? Like, how does this normally get expressed to the entrepreneur? I think to, to the entrepreneur, we we lay it out very, you know, very clearly. You know, we start 
right to the beginning. We work with them. And, you know, by the time they get halfway through, they kind of enjoy it because they come out of it with a lot of value. You know, their their business plan is going to be better or their strategy is going to be better. They've got a ton of ideas that we've given them. You know, they've leaned on our experience. So they come out of it, hopefully, with a smile on their face, you know, regardless of the investment quite often, you know. But on the investor side, I think, I think it's worth saying that people who invest in a fund, it's a huge amount of trust they're giving to that fund. You know, they're investing their money with us, the people who are managing that fund, because they trust our process. They trust our experience. You know, we can invest their money on behalf of them better than they could if they were doing it directly. Or, you know, they literally don't have the time. You know, these people are often very busy and, you know, they they do this because we're doing the due diligence on their behalf. You know, if you're looking at making direct company investments and you want to spread that risk across 20 companies, you've got to do your own due diligence across 20 companies. Sometimes in a competitive environment, you know, it's not, it's not viable sometimes. That's why these funds exist. We do that lift. You know, we have experts. We have a team of people. You know, we can do, hopefully, <laughs> well, we can do a better job than an individual could, you know, because we've, this is what we do for a living. We've all done it before. We've got the experience. We've got the scars. We've got the T-shirts. You know, and we can quickly spot the opportunities. We can quickly spot the risks. And we can help these companies as well. You know, that's, I think that's the, the key thing here. To add to that is that, yeah, of course we can produce, you know, all the types of dashboards and, and analyses that investors might look for for us to justify our deployments of money into that particular opportunity. At the end of the day, I think actually, I think our, our value in, comes down to the fact that we can really prioritize that vetting. And, you know, are there two or three things which really excites us about this business? And if we were involved, these are the ways in which we can help them. So for me, that's more important than having a fancy, you know, you know, 10 page you know, deep dive report on the opportunity. It's where is the priority in this near term future? The next 18, 24 months, how can we make a difference to the business? And how can we grow it from valuation of X to hopefully double that in the first couple of years? That's the product and service, frankly, that we can provide. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. I think we've dwelt on due diligence for long enough. Let's move on. Uh, let's move into something that, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not sure what this means, so it would be good to get an understanding of this one. Talk about runway and burn rate is is something that tends probably just t- comes up quite a lot. Do you want to just give me an understanding of, of why and what this is all about? Yeah, sure. A, a runway is the amount of money which they require over a set amount of time so it doesn't go dry. And a burn rate is basically a monthly scenario in terms of how much money is spent within their own way. So if anyone asks, I mean, is this something that you use in conversation with, with entrepreneurs? So like asking them what their burn rate is and would they be expected to answer that? Oh, that's fundamental and absolutely justifying, you know, are you asking for enough? Is the million pounds really enough to take you through the next 18 months of technical development, paying staff, paying for a marketing and sales campaign, et cetera, et cetera. And again, I think, again, our, our, our practical operational experience can help them prioritize where that money could be spent and how much money is required over that defined set, set time period. Neil's right. I think what, you know, what we don't want to happen is that the, the founders spend all their time raising funds and not building their business. You know, raising funds is a huge undertaking. You know, there's, there's umpteen pony shows and the due diligence, and it's a lot of work. And what you don't want to be doing is doing that every six months. So we often say, look, 
you know, we need at least 12, ideally 18. So we, we actually tell founders that they're not asking for enough more than they're asking for too much because, you know, we want them to raise the funds and then double down on the business for the next 18 months and nail their targets and we'll help them along that road. And what we don't want them to do is continually raising funds along the journey because it's a huge distraction and it's a risk. Yeah. This whole thing will probably be mitigated if you do a good enough job on the due diligence front. You're going to know that. So you're not going to have to be so wildly out of whack, I suppose. All these things work in combination. Due diligence, burn rates, runway, and the next point, which Ivan, you're going to take us on to, which is obviously a lot of this stuff starts with at a DD stage. When people justify how much money they're asking for in return for what percentage of their business that's based upon what they believe to be the valuation of their company at its current stage of maturity. And this is really important because again, you know, the way in which a discussion is developing or does develop around valuation really points to, you know, frankly, you know, the culture and the style of business people of the founders with, that, we're, that we're working with. We want people who are, yeah, yes, absolutely visionary, very optimistic, but also very, very prudent and very pragmatic and practical about how their company should grow and also within that, what is the inherent valuation of their business. There is an obvious divergence between expectations and behaviors at this stage. It's also founders are very, very optimistic people, mostly, the vast majority of the time. Whereas us as you know, VCs or angel investors, clearly we're looking a little bit more introspectively in terms of, you know, well, come on, this is still a bit of a risk, really? You know, is there a middle ground? And again, it comes back down to that partnership and really fostering the ability to work together, not just now, that's an initial investment decision-making process or in an inv- initial investor-making decision process. But, you know, how do we help you raise that initial amount of money, justify the valuation, spend, deploy the money, and then, then go on to a follow-on round with a different valuation? It all starts and ends, in effect, with you know, having very sensible and pragmatic discussions at the very start of that DD stage. Because valuation can be quite emotive and not that practical. Because you know what? Sometimes it's really hard to benchmark. So if you've got a really, really innovative application of AI, even in the traditional marketplace, there's nothing to compare it against. So again, there has to be a bit of, bit of recognition of that. And people just use their practical experience to come up with you know, a, a middle ground, which both the investor and the investee think is uh, appropriate for both parties. Nice. Let's move over to cap table. We talk about cap table in, in terms of a capitalization table. So tell me, like, wh- why is why is this important for an investor looking to, you know, vet a tech startup? Well, again, just to explain what this is, I mean, at the most simplistic level, it's basically a spreadsheet which outlines who has what current percentage equity stake in a business. Now, okay, that sounds incredibly dull. The reason that's important to understand at a pre-seed and seed level is it's all about how then that protect, that protect, that current stake, that equity stake is then diluted as other investors come on board. So it's really important to have a strategic approach to who is currently on your cap table and what your cap table will look like during a process of going through next stage, pre, yeah, seed, series A, series B. Because at the end of the day, you know, this is particularly important at a very early stage because 
a lot of people that come onto the management team and the pre-seed are given things like, you know, either, either full stock or stock options. And clearly, you know, they all have to be reflected within the cap table. The values of both options and stock, again, will be diluted as the business goes through different funding rounds. So it has to be right at the beginning. Otherwise, you know, as you're further down the line, it can create quite a number of human resource and investor relations problems. Yeah. And it's also important. One of the key things we do look for as well, especially in the early stages, are the critical people in that business incentivized? You know, and, and to do that is normally, you know, have you got a share pool option? EMI scheme, there's an acronym for you. I don't even know what that stands for, but that's a bit, it's, it's basically a scheme that you can give shares to your employees to incentivize them. Cause obviously startups, you can't pay huge salaries to incentivize people. So you do that with long-term incentives, which is share options. And we look for that because, you know, it's, it's a key thing, you know, what is stopping these key people in your business from leaving if they get their head turned by a, by a corporate job. And that is normally, you know, shares and that affects the cap table. So are you holding enough back to do that? Are you holding enough back for the next rounds? You know, because we look at it for usually, you know, a seven-year period. You know, have you, as uh, Neil touched on, you know, have you got enough to deal with the future rounds and have you got enough to deal with the future hires as well and all these things? So it's it can, it's a simple thing to look at, but it's very complicated to plan on the long term. Well, it is for my sure. simple brain anyway. <laughs> but I, yeah, I imagine from an investor's perspective, like if, if, if I'm an investor and I'm about to put 100K in a pre-seed company and I'm excited about like the last thing that I would want to happen is for, for there to be shares of that company distributed that I didn't know about. So that, and that money is not necessarily being protected as it could be. Does that make sense? Or have I misunderstood this? No, that's no, absolutely right, Ivan. No, you're right. I think that, you know, the fund, the way the fund works is that we kind of look after that on the investor's behalf. So we, you know, we make sure it's been invested in the right way, the right time. You know, that's, we take that on, you know, we we mitigate that risk. Otherwise, you know, going into the direct company investments, which puts all that risk on the individual investor. Which could cause an absolute nightmare. I don't know if you've, you've, you've been, you've heard any stories or know about any stories where that's happened and an investor has put a lot of money in a company and realised the shares are split between three different parties that they didn't know existed in the first place. I can imagine that can cause uh, a big old headache. So yeah. Dilution. Dilution's a key one, which is another which is another, another term. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there you go. Another bit of another we like, need, we're we need so a buzzer. Every yeah, time one's mentioned. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Great stuff. Okay. Well, that calls it then. I uh, hope that was useful to wrap up some of this jargon and terminology and some demystify some of these things that might be a little bit confusing to an, a new investors. Hope it gave you guys a better understanding of how this all works in relationship to EHG's new AI fund as well. Pete and Neil, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Ivan. Thanks, Ivan. Thanks again for listening to Fast Growth Funding. Don't forget to subscribe for instant access to new episodes and follow EHE Ventures on LinkedIn for regular insights and updates on the world of AI investments. If you are interested in learning more about EHE Ventures or the AI Early Stage Growth Fund, then let's chat. Just click the link in the show notes below, head over to our landing page, register interest, and we will spark up a whole conversation with you. Speak soon.